This morning I wanted to pick back up our discussions of Ephesians. A couple of weeks ago we talked about Ephesians chapter 1. And uh, this is the second sort of piece to that. And we're going to finish up chapter 1 today beginning in verse 15. Uh, I'll be using the New American Standard 2020 edition just because that's how I ended up writing this one. Last time we used NIV for this, so I'm bouncing around a little. Referring back to what he wrote in the first 14 verses of this chapter, namely that the Ephesians who, to whom he had written were true believers and had been sealed with the Holy Spirit, Paul adds here that he has heard of their faith and their love for the people of God. It's Ephesians 1, verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith of the Lord in the Lord Jesus Christ, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints. Now, I just want to say one thing here, that Ephesians 1, 15 to 23 in the Greek is one entire sentence. It's just one sentence. Paul has a habit of that kind of thing. Um, and frankly, in Greek, it can sometimes be difficult anyway to know. <laughs> But uh, I'm going to be dividing this into smaller pieces because I want to talk about components today of, of what he's saying. Uh, so I may not always stop at, at verse boundaries. But in this case, it ends your love for all the saints. Faith is the way of the kingdom. He's heard about the faith that the Ephesians have. It is the way of the kingdom. Faith is the necessary element that guarantees that our choice to love God is freely made. If we didn't love God because we trust him, then our love might be some kind of a put-on. If we loved God because he forced it, that wouldn't really even be love, would it? So he has heard of their faith and their love for the people of God. Faith is necessary, and it shows that our choice to love God is freely made. And that's the reason why we read in Hebrews eleven six that without faith, it's impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he exists. That's a good idea. <laughs> and uh, that he proves to be one who, reward, who rewards those who seek him. No one who does not believe God would come to him. If they don't believe there is a God, they're certainly not going to come to God. Nor would they believe he rewards those who seek him because they think he is not. Or at the very least, if there is God, they don't believe all the things that he has said about who he is and what he does and who we are in that context. Consequently, we read in Ephesians 2.8 that it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this not of yourself, it is the gift of God. Salvation is a gift. Righteousness is a gift. It's not by works. You're saved by the grace of God, by the, the favorable action of God on your behalf. And by your faith, your trust, your belief that that is true, 
that God did what he said he did. It is faith, trust in God, belief that he exists and will do what he promises that saves us. His grace is extended to all humanity. It is a gift sitting on the porch of everyone's life. All who trust the sender and accept the gift obtain the promised contents, eternal life. Paul then mentions that the love, he mentions the love that the Ephesian saints have for one another and for all the saints. Faith accepts God's gift. God's gift produces love. In John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new commandment that you love one another just as I have loved you that you also love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. If you're like me, you may be thinking, how on earth am I going to do that? The answer is that apart from Jesus, we can't. John 15, 5 says, apart from me, you can do nothing. We certainly can't love others apart from him. And so Father has graciously set things up for us to ensure our success. Romans 5.5 5 tells us that God's love has been poured into the soft, loving new hearts that Father gave us. If his love is poured all over or shed abroad in our hearts, we cannot fail to obey his new command to love one another. That's what's in our heart. Love is our natural response. I bet you've noticed that in yourself. Haven't you found yourself growing more compassionate and loving over the time since you were reborn? Was it something you worked hard on? Or was it something that just sort of seemed to happen? That's called fruit of the Spirit. Spirit is in you, producing this fruit. He poured his love all over your heart. Now you're a loving and compassionate person because that's who he made you to be. Having recognized the faith and love being shown by the Ephesians, Paul begins to tell them how he is praying for them. Picking up in verse 16, he says, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Thankfulness is Paul's starting point with God. Watch this. Romans 1.8 First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the world. 1 Corinthians 1.4 I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which has been given to you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1.3 
I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Colossians 1.3 We give thanks to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you. 1 Thessalonians 1.2 We always give thanks to God for all of you, making mention of you in our prayers. 2 Thessalonians 1.3 We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers and sisters, as is only fitting, because your faith is increasing abundantly, and the love of each and every one of you toward one another grows ever greater. 1 Timothy 1.12, I thank Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he considered me faithful, putting me into service. 2 Corinthians 1.3, I thank God whom I serve with a clear conscience the way my forefathers did as I constantly remember you in my prayers day and night. And Philemon 4, I thank my God always making mention of you in my prayers. I think Paul was thankful. This is just a sampling. All I did to get that was I turned to each epistle and read down the first few verses of the first chapter. <laughs> and that's just a little smattering of the times he talks about Thanksgiving and being thankful. Paul spoke often about being thankful, and he often begins his discussions about his prayer with thankfulness. He doesn't stop there, however. He goes on to pray that the, Lord, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Now, this is a really interesting verse for a lot of reasons. The one I've chosen to talk about this morning <laughs> is that it calls to mind for me a verse in 1 Peter 3.18 where we're encouraged to grow in grace and the knowledge of the Lord. I've been on a sort of mental treadmill with this idea recently. I'm intrigued by the ramifications of growing in the knowledge of the Lord. Clearly, we're not being told to learn more facts about God. Rather, we are being instructed to know him relationally, intimately, personally. This is a process for us. We experience it with spouses, with family members, with friends. The longer we've known someone, the more we know what to expect from them. This is the way that trust is built. Wisdom and revelation come from God, and Holy Spirit within us is the source from which we are supplied with them. As we live with God, do you see that? Holy Spirit's within us. He is the source of wisdom and knowledge. As we live with God over time, our knowledge of him increases as the wisdom and revelation of God work in us and our minds are renewed. Think about that. God is inside you working, improving your mind, renewing your mind, helping you to see more of the depth of what he's done and who he's made you and who he is helping you to get to know him, helping you to know what to expect from him. Like, have you ever prayed, you know, God, my foot really hurts. Please make the pain stop. 
I have a headache. Please make the pain stop. How'd that work out for you? Not often very well. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't heal. Don't get me wrong. He can and does. What I'm saying is, that's not how he works. He's not some sort of, you know, I don't know, little coin machine that you put your quarter in and you get a prize. <laughs> you know, he's not, he, he doesn't work that way. God is about what is spiritual. God is about relationship with him. God is about walking in dependence. God is about how to know him in the midst of those things and how that strengthens you and how that improves you, not about give me this, give me that, take me out of this, help me with that. Not that he doesn't sometimes do them, he does. But you can't manipulate him and tell him how to be God. He already knows, and you don't. <laughs> Our minds are being renewed as he works in us. Now, picking back up in Ephesians 1 at verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, and what is the boundless greatness of his power toward us who believe? Now I'm halfway through verse 19. I'm going to stop right there because that's a sentence break for us. The King James renders verse 18 this way. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. This small difference in the expression about the eyes of our hearts happens because the underlying Greek can be read in two ways. The Net Bible, the NET Bible, agrees with the King James here that the passage is essentially acknowledging that as believers, the eyes of our hearts are enlightened. I tend to agree. And one piece of evidence that comes to mind is 1 Corinthians 2.12 where we find, now we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. The three things Paul prays that the Ephesians and we should know are the hope of his calling the riches of the saints' inheritance, and the extraordinarily great power toward us. I love what the NET Bible notes say here. There is a natural cadence to the three genitive expressions, hope of his calling, wealth of his glorious inheritance, and extraordinary greatness of his power. The essence of the prayer is seen here. Paraphrased, it reads as follows. Since you are enlightened by God's spirit, I pray that you may comprehend the hope to which he has called you, the spiritual riches that await the saints in glory, and the spiritual power that is available to the saints now. Thus, the prayer focuses on all three temporal aspects of our salvation as these are embedded in the genitives, the past, calling, the future, inheritance, and the present, power toward us who believe. 
I think that has merit, and I like their thinking on that. The prayer goes on in the second half of verse 19 to declare, These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. Imagine for a moment the power required to raise Jesus from the dead and seat him at the right hand of God. That is life-giving power. Only God has life in himself. Here's how Jesus put it in John 5, 26. For just as the Father has life in himself, so he gave to the Son also to have life in himself. This is the power required for anyone to live a life pleasing to God. Want to please God? Have God's life in you. You cannot do it in your own power. It is that life-giving, Christ-raising power. Some may have wondered why they kept failing in their attempts to live an upright and godly life. This is the explanation. When we read in Matthew 5.48 that the standard of God is be perfect like your Father in heaven is perfect, we quickly understand that no power we have in ourselves is going to suffice. As is his way, however, Father has graciously set things up to ensure our success. Don't you like that when God just rigs it in your favor? Romans 5.5 5 says that the Holy Spirit was given to us and filled our hearts with his love. We read, we talked about that a little bit earlier. His love is shed abroad in our hearts, the King James says, or poured over our hearts or poured into our hearts. Romans 8.11 tells us that, get this now, the same Spirit who raised Christ from the dead lives in you. That is the incredible power of God toward us, in us. If we only knew what's really in there. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, children of God, God has sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying out, Abba, Father, Daddy. This is going to be brief, I told you. 
Finding, <laughs> finishing up Ephesians chapter 1 in verses 22 and 23, we find this. And he put all things in subjection under his feet. Now, the he in the first part is God the Father, and the his feet is Jesus. He put all things in subjection under his feet and made him, Jesus, head over all things to the church, which is his body. The fullness of him who fills all in all. Wait a minute. The church is the fullness of him who fills all in all? Boy. If the church only knew. <laughs> Why are we stumbling around thinking we're the poor kids on the block? We are the ambassadors of Christ. We are from a kingdom so far advanced before this kingdom, it isn't even comparable. The power that we contain within us raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Oh, and Lazarus and a number of other people. Plus, if you read the Gospels in that one place, it says after uh, when, when this all happened, a whole bunch of other people came up out of the grave. I don't know if you ever noticed that. But there's quite a few that came up. It wasn't just Jesus and him alone. There were other people. Can you imagine what that must have been like? I mean, you see that in the movies, right? <laughs> it never ends well. You just got to wonder... What the people were thinking, though. After that, they started embalming, so they knew you were dead. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> you just got to wonder what people were thinking when that happened. Christ, at the whole ground shook, and people came up out of their graves. The church is his body. The fullness of all, of him who fills all in all. Jesus is the name that is above every name. Philippians 2, 9 through 11 reiterates this and it says, For this reason God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Whew. This is the Spirit who lives in you. Where you walk, He walks. That's holy ground. The church is his body. That may seem like an odd idea, or it may seem like something we just sort of skip over when we read it. Well, yeah, the church is his body. I get it. Okay. But it's so important to understand. The body of Christ is made up of many parts. We've spoken about that here on a number of occasions. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 is dedicated to the concept. We comprise the church. We comprise the body of Christ. God is so big, so unfathomable, 
so loving and holy that he can never be expressed fully by finite beings. He is other. He is beyond. He is, as they say these days, extra. Each member of the body of Christ is unique. Just look around you. There's a whole bunch of unique people sitting in here. Some of us more unique than others. <laughs> a whole bunch of unique people. The body of Christ is made up of many parts. Each member is unique and each member expresses or manifests him in a unique way. Did you know that? No other person in the history of time has been able to express Christ the way you express him. In this way, he is more fully, though still to the minutest degree, made known to the world. All of us together, billions, expressing Christ each in a unique way, and we barely express the minutest amount of him. But in this way, he is made known to the world. Did you know that you make Christ known? It happens even when you're not looking. You know, it happens when you're kind to somebody. It happens when you're just wandering around doing your thing. And, you know, somebody speaks to you and you say something nice back or you are just, you smile. The littlest things sometimes make the biggest difference. I think I've told you the story of a pastor friend of mine who's since uh, gone through the veil, uh, who said, who grew up Catholic and uh, then eventually just walked away from all of religion because he couldn't believe Catholicism anymore and, and uh, just gave up on the whole thing. But his grandmother kept saying, Jesus loves you, and eventually... Jesus loves you is what made him turn around and come to the Lord and get saved. You never know what it's going to be. It may not be Jesus love you. I've told you the story of the hotel cat. God can work through a cat. He can probably work through you. In fact, he is working through you, and that's the point. It isn't about you going out and finding a way. It's like John sitting on an airplane reading a book, and somebody starts asking him questions. Well, what are you going to do? you got to answer. <laughs> you didn't have to be pushy. You didn't have to hand out tracks or sneak them onto the seat beside you so the guy's got to pick them up. You didn't have to do any of that stuff. You don't have to be annoying. You just got to be you. I want to encourage you today to do that. Be you. Be who you truly and authentically are. When the spirit in you is prompting you, listen, do that thing. Love that person. Choose the kind response rather than the angry one. You know, it happened to me yesterday. For whatever reason, I was just in a mood. You know, you ever have that happen to you? You're just like, man, I just, mm, I am grumpy. I'm grumbly. 
That's what I like to say. I'm grumbly. And I just get, I just get to this point where it's like somebody will say something to me and I'll, re, and I'll respond, I'll react in a way that's not reflective of Christ in me. I know none of y'all probably ever do that, but that happens to me. And you know, I, was, I did that, and I felt really badly about it. And the thought came to my mind, you're not reflecting Christ. This is not Christ in you doing this. And it was like I had to stop, take a pause, listen to that little interjection that came into my head. Just listen to it and start to say, well, how could I deal with this? Well, one way is I could shut up. That would be a start. <laughs> Another way is I could begin to remember that Christ is in me. I could begin to remember who he has made me, that he has recreated me, that he's poured his love into my heart. I could begin to remember that whatever it is that's kind of making me edgy, even if I don't know what it is, doesn't matter. That what matters is relationship. That's more important. Now I wish I could say that that just turned me around and all the rest of the day was, everything is awesome, but it wasn't. You know that song if you ever watched the Lego movie. And if you haven't watched the Lego movie, you, you owe it to yourself. It didn't do that. But more and more I'm becoming aware of those moments. More and more I'm seeing those decision points. More and more I'm hearing the Spirit when He speaks to me. And that's how it begins. And the next thing you know, there will be change. Not because I got all sweaty trying to do it. Worked on it hard. Concentrated really hard. But just because Holy Spirit in me is producing that fruit and it gets born by me because I'm a branch. That's what branches do. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Jesus. We also dwell in Jesus. And Jesus dwells in us. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And our lives are hidden with Jesus in God. You're in about as deep as you can get. This passage in Ephesians provides us with just the tiniest inkling of a description of how great Gracious and glorious our lovely Lord Jesus actually is. Oh yeah, and he has given us his glory. Did you know that? John 17, 22 to 23 says this, and this is Jesus speaking to the Father. The glory which you have given me, I also have given them so that they may be one, just as we are one. I in them, you in me, that they may be perfected in unity, so that the world may know that you sent me and you loved them just as you loved me. 
Did you know God the Father loves you just as he loves Jesus? That's big love. Did you know that God the Father is in Jesus? That's what it says here. I in them and you, talking about Father, in me. And Jesus is in God. We are hid with Christ in God. Do you understand that concept? No, of course. But can you get the idea? God's in you. You're in God. The Spirit's in you. You're in the Spirit. You're in Christ. Scripture tells us over and over. Christ is in God. God is in Christ. Do you see it? It's this, it's this inseparable union. When we begin to realize that, that Christ is in us and we are in Christ, in him we live and move and have our existence, then everything we do, we do in Christ. We do with Christ. He does with us. Doesn't that challenge you and make you just want to live a godly, upright life? Yeah, it really does. Not so that you'll be, continue to be saved, not so that God will like you more. He loves you like he loves Jesus. Not so that all of those things will happen, but so that other people will come to know him. So that, so that the world will be a better place while we walk among them. So that we imitate our dad. So that we get to know him better. Trust him more. And get that beautiful, abundant life really in control. That we walk by the Spirit and not by the flesh. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Paul and his wonderful letters. We thank you for sometimes the difficulty of what he writes. But also the profundity of it. It is just so enormous. We pray that you would open our minds to hear as much of it as we can understand. We ask that you would, that you would sprinkle our hearts with it every day, and that it would just dwell in us, that it would, it would, we would steep in it. Father, we thank you that you have allowed us to gather together and to just share the word together, and we thank you for so much for Jim's teaching and the way we get to discuss new things and think new thoughts and, and look deeply at seemingly simple things and clarify them and how that just draws scripture together and makes it sing. This helps us to know that it is from you. No person could ever have constructed this. Father, we thank you for your life within us. We pray that we would manifest you just as you have planned, that we would do the good deeds that you have prepared for us in advance, that we would do that by resting in you, by living the dependent life, by being who you've made us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.